Blog Talk Radio. Good Saturday morning, good Saturday morning, my friends out there in radio land and on the Internet, whether you are, are Skyping in or you on your mobile device or you sitting at your computer, however you're tuning in on the telephone, if you dialed in, if you're checking in through the chat room, however you're connecting to Off the Shelf, I want to say good morning to you and happy Saturday, April the 20th. Can you believe we are headed almost to the end of four months? I tell you, this time goes by. It's so important to set your goals and go after them because time simply does not wait for us to make up our minds about these things. But I want to also introduce, before I do, I want to thank our loyal listeners. I have to do this every episode. I, I, the people who've been with us for going on 10 years and we are just growing, growing, and growing. So I want to thank our loyal listeners, those of you tuning in every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you've been doing it for almost 10 years now. For those who just discovered us, you might have just been turning the dial like you do when you driving your car and just turning the dial, trying to find something you want to tune into. I want to introduce myself to you. I'm your host, Denise Turney, and as I always tell you, I am coming to you live from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I I encourage you, don't let another day pass before you pick up a copy of Love Pour Over Me. And when you purchase this new book, which is my latest book, Love Pour Over Me, you're going to get mystery and romance, friendship, high chase, on the edge of your seat scenes, and loads and loads of entertainment. This is a thought-provoking, deeply emotional book. is available. You can get it online or offline, Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, iTunes, Google Books, you name it, Walmart. If you don't see it at the store or at the, uh, the bookstore or the library even, just ask the clerk for it. They can easily order a copy for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. So go get Love Pour Over Me and enjoy reading it. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. I love, love, love doing these interviews. As I told our guests, I always learn something. And our special guest today is the one and only Tracy Lewis Gidgets. And Tracy is an editor, she's a writer, and an entrepreneur. So many of our off-the-shelf guests wear multiple hats. I'm starting to see that trend. She's also the author of six books, including The Integrated Church, Authentic Multicultural Ministry and Interruption, The Gospel According to Crystal Justine. And her latest book is titled The Unlikely Remnant. And and when we start going through today's interview, you're going to see how unique this theme that she took up is. So we are delighted to have this passionate writer with us here this morning on Off the Shelf Radio. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Tracy. Good morning. It's such, it's I, such I, a pleasure. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, I, you know, it's such a blessing to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I love talking to people about books and writing and all that good stuff. So thank you so much for having me. It's 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 a pleasure, and we're gonna have a good time. We're gonna have lots of fun, and and today and throughout the the weeks, uh, thousands of people will get to maybe be introduced to you and enjoy what you share here today. Now to begin, life fills up so quickly, and it's so odd. I I didn't even look back at my questions from the research I did for your interview, but when I was saying how we're almost at the end of April and time does not wait for us to make up our, our minds, it doesn't wait, wait, wait for us to get our courage together, our vision, our faith, nothing. So we just mm-hmm. got to do it because it's just not going to wait for us. Now, life fills up so quickly. I wanted to ask you, was there ever a time in your life when you took you took a break, and I'm playing on one of your titles, an interruption, if you will, from <laughs> writing? And if so... Mm-hmm. What propelled you to take this interruption? Well, I, you know, that's a very good question. I think I have taken seasons in my life where I have taken, I have taken a break from professional writing. I, I, I journal 
and I um, do a lot of things in terms of my own encouragement through writing. So I don't know if I've ever taken a break from from the actual act of writing itself. But, yes, there have been many times where I've had to stop uh, writing towards a goal, whether it's stop working on a book or stop working on a project or something like that, uh, because I think sometimes um, you can get so overwhelmed by the process and by what you have to do that you really miss the you lose the love for it, the passion for it. Or it, I don't know if you lose it, but I think it, it, it diminishes in a way. And so you have to restore yourself. I think in any career field, whether you're a writer, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, there are times of refreshing and there's times that I feel like God wants to restore you. So I'm going to fill you back up so then when you venture out and go back out and start working on a project again, you're full. You're not empty. You're not operating from a deficit. So, yeah, I mean, there have been a few times in my life um, or times where I just had to shift my focus to something else. Like, you know, when I had my daughter, I had to focus on this new role of being a mom. So, you know, yeah, there have been plenty of times where I've had to do that. When you took those breaks, how did you get yourself back on track? Because some of us take breaks, Tracy. And then mm-hmm. that's it. That break becomes mm-hmm. a stop. How did you get mm-hmm. yourself? How how do you get yourself back on track when you take those breaks? Um, I it really requires some discipline. I think what happens sometimes is when you don't go back to something, is, is that because you don't uh, take the time to um, examine where you are in your life and and seeing what what steps what things that you need to do to get back at it. So for me, it was just about okay, I know. I want to get back into this. I want to finish working on this book project or whatever it is. So let me put some goals in place. It really has, I feel like, really needs to be calculated in that way. Otherwise, you'll never get back. You need to be mm-hmm. able to set a goal. You need you need to set a time. You know, so on February 4th, you know, of next year, I'm going to begin writing 15 minutes a day. It doesn't have to be a large goal, but it just has to be something that's going to ease you back into that and also being prayerful about um, what you are supposed to be working on. Because sometimes you jump into something and it's not the project that you're supposed to be working on, and so it can be discouraging. And then you decide to just say, well, you know what, it didn't work out and I don't do it again. So I think you have to be calculated, be strategic, put a plan together um, to help you ease back into a particular project. Um, that At least that's what worked for me. And to start a project, I thank you for sharing that and for those who are off-the-shelf listeners who want to either start a business, they want to start a, 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 a book, they want to start on a book or some type of a writing project or whatever your dream is. It could be in music, some other form of arts or business or education, et cetera. I think the goal to, like, you know, something to press toward, uh, a vision, yeah. something out there you press toward, and you keep moving that vision out so you keep you keep advancing. And then, too, like you say, the steps. To get it, and don't tell yourself if an idea comes up, call this person or do this. Don't talk yourself out of it. Like, oh, they don't want to hear from me, yes. or they're too busy to do it. Don't don't start telling yourself. I mean, as I look back over my life. There are times when I told myself that, but years ago I learned, no, just do it. Don't say, oh, they're too busy for me. They get so many letters. They get so, they'll never even read my letter. Just do it. And see what happens. They might not read it that day. They might be cleaning their house two years later and come across that letter you sent them. Exactly. And it'll be right on time. So just, just do and it. You know, the, I want the, the thing. The thing is, is that you're not in control of the timing of things. You're only in control of your own uh, being proactive or action. So if you own what you're supposed to do and you send those letters out and you make those connects, then you leave it to God to set up the timing as to when things are going to come through for you. And you don't allow it to discourage you. You don't allow fear to take hold of you where you're just, you know, you, you're not able to, to do anything because you're so locked down by your fear. You know, that's something we can spend so much time talking about. I know. <laughs> that, that is so, no, 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 that is so true. And the thing is that we, I think most of us know we can't control this whole universe. Nobody, we're not even controlling what happens to the birds flying across the sky or the leaves on the trees. We know we can't control it all, but we still want to. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm the biggest, I'm the biggest control freak. Oh, so I we guess. still want to. We're like, 
We can't control the weather. We we have events that happen in life. We look, we look at the news. We feel hopeless or helpless. We can't control exactly. everything, but yet we want to. We like, oh, but I exactly. want to. But it, it is. That's one of the biggest challenges, like you said, following that inner guidance and then just turning it loose and letting go. What has the process of becoming a full-time writer been like for you. I just want to get into this a little bit before we talk about your books because we have so many listeners who would love to be where you are. They'd love to be a published author. So what's that process been like for you? Wow. Um, it's, it's definitely been a journey. Um, I started out, um, you know, like I said, I've written all my life. I wrote plays for church. And, you know, I've done all of these kind of things as a teenager. Uh, when I got to college, I kind of put it on the back shelf a bit. Uh, but when I when I got out of undergrad, um, I began to write poetry, and that was when spoken word was really, you know, deaf comedy, you know, not deaf comedy, a deaf poetry jam. All of that was really hot. So I was on the the spoken word circuit, and but um, I felt like my my um, my skill set and my and what I desired to do was a little bit different. So uh, I began working on my first novel. Uh, I self-published uh, initially, and then um, from there, after becoming a speaker and all of that, I, my nonfiction book um, on multicultural ministry uh, was picked up or by a a, a, um, a traditional publisher. And so um, my journey has seen, you know, these high highs where I'm signing the book deal and, you know, I'm excited and, and all of that, and it's seen sort of this plateau where, you know, I'm just working and plugging along and not really sure where a story is going. And then, you know, there have been those low points where, you know, I, I'm not really sure what to do with, you know, what I've done and, and how to go about it. So it's been a learning process. I, I encourage anyone who's listening that's wanting to become a writer, wanting to publish the book, their book, um, that you this is not for the faint of heart. Um, this is mm-hmm. somebody you have to you have to know that this is what you're called to do and that you will, or even if you're just called to do it for this season and then you're going to be willing to put it forth the effort. I, I think sometimes people just say, oh, anybody can write a book. I can write a book and I can publish it. Because it, it, it is relatively easy at this point to access the tool that you need to publish. But, you know, I encourage people to study the craft of writing, to learn what it means to write a good story and, and to develop themselves like they would anything else. If you're going to doctor, you're going to go to medical school. If you're going, you know, to be a police officer, you go to boot camp and training, you know. So you would do all of those things. And I, I've spent the last 10 to 12 years doing exactly that, training myself every single day. I grow as a writer. Just because I've published six books doesn't mean that I know everything about writing. So I try to keep my – learning from other authors, and I just think that that's part of the journey. The journey is constantly learning and becoming better at what you do, and then you're, and then it's going to be reflected in the book. You know, the feedback that I get from the Unlikely Women is very different from the feedback that I get from the Gospel According to Dr. Mm. Renee. Not necessarily bad, but different. They can see that I've developed as a writer and that I, I tell stories that's a little bit different, and that, that makes me feel good, you know, and I hope that 10 years from now, they will also be able to see that same difference and continue to grow. You 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 made a good point. I thank you again for what you're sharing. Uh, and I think in any industry, sometimes for some reason, and I think this could be good. We think it's going to be easier and it's just going to happen. Bada boom, bada bing. And sometimes it does for some people. It just it just takes mm-hmm. off right away. First thing they do, right. like look at J.K. Rowling. Her first book just went shot over the moon. So it's, right. it's, it's for some people. It does. The first, it does happen. Or you maybe Terry McMillan or Maya Angelou, who was in the entertainment industry for years before her mm-hmm. career took off, which a lot of people don't know. I mean, for years she was in before her career took off. So it's different. Tony Morrison, it was years, years right. before uh, uh, her, her her piece took off. She wasn't selling all those books like pe- people might have thought till Oprah took her one of her books and made it into a movie. But she was out there for years. It it isn't always as easy. The technical part, like you said, writing, go, putting out an ebook, doing self publishing, that is simple. That is pretty easy. Getting an ISBN, copyright, etc. But writing a great story and then finding that audience for that book, because there's so many right. books out here. That's yeah. where the word comes in. <laughs> yeah, that's the word yeah, I mean, part. And marketing is the biggest part. You can write a great yes. book, but if nobody reads it. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's a great book still. It doesn't change it. But, I mean, you have to the, – the, the hardest part for me is marketing, you know. You have to be able to find your readers and engage your readers and, you know, and have them engage back with you. I mean, that's just the world we're living in where people feel like they – you know, it used to be as a writer, you know, you kind of were this mystery and that people read your books and they're like, oh, wow, if only I could just meet things. But there's so many writers and, now. Yeah, and, and, and social media makes it so that literally your readers can reach out to you and say, you know what, I don't understand why you made this character this way. And so you have to build relationships with people now. You have to distinguish yourself between all of those books that are in the marketplace because there is a yeah. lot of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. You better believe it. And then all the the, the blogs and everything people can mm-hmm. get. I mean, TV. You know, you just got so much that you're competing for people's attention with. I wanted sure. to ask you... Can you tell us about, before we start talking about the unlikely remnant, can you tell us about the first, the very first piece that you wrote? Do you remember? The very first uh, book? Very first piece you wrote. I know you said you journaled, so we, but the very first, like, creative arts piece that you oh, wrote. Oh, wow. Um, I think that the, if I, Wow. I mean, I could go all the way back to elementary school. I can go to, you know, I used to write songs on the back of the bus, you know, on the way to school. We would put together, me and my girlfriends would put together songs um, on the bus, and, I mean, that was a form of creativity. I think the, the first thing that I remember that was significant, I think, though, was in middle school, I um, got together with a group of uh, other students, and we put together a uh, Martin Luther King tribute, which I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and it's a little bit different putting together a Martin Luther King tribute um, in the area that we were. So uh, Mm -hmm. me and some friends of mine got together and put together a whole skit, and, you know, I I wrote, I I got a chance to produce it. And so that was probably the first creative piece where I felt like, wow, like you, you saw, I saw the whole process from the time that we wrote it and collaborated to the very, very end where we had this final, I saw that it could be an entire journey or a process. And so I was, that's the first thing that comes to my mind that was significant. Wow, middle school, middle school, getting an early start, wow. Now, fear is a theme. I was researching for today's interview. That was a common mm-hmm. theme that kept coming up. It's a theme you cover in your books. How do you think, Tracy, fear keeps us from fulfilling our deepest, I mean most passionate dreams, dreams that won't even let us go, but we we let fear stop us? What, what do you, how do you think that it does prevent us from fulfilling our deepest, most passionate dreams? Um, I think uh, fear is, fear is like handcuffs. Um, it really, it, it binds us. It keeps us bound. Um, I think it's a very subtle sometimes. Fear is often subtle. It's not an out-and-out out fear, you know, um, or avert, if you will. It, it, it sometimes is a very subtle um Fear of failure, fear of success, fear of not being accepted, fear of being rejected. You know, and it, it, those fears, when allowed to play out, uh, really hinder us from moving. Like it's a like handcuff, it's like a straitjacket. You know, I, I see fear as, as it's something, the reason why it comes up as a theme in my books is because it's something that I struggle with. And so I've had to really take. Uh, a mantra that I heard Joyce Meyer say one time, which is "Do it afraid." I've always been yeah. one that while while I've I, I've experienced fear, and because of my history and my story, um, fear has been a part of me. I've had this other because uh, people get fear and courage mixed up; they think it's the same thing. Courage mm-hmm. is the ability to do in spite of your fear, and so I, I can I think some of the things that I've had to do. Uh, has required me to be courageous, even though I struggle with fear. So I think it's not necessarily. I don't want anybody out there that's listening to think, oh, you know, I'm down. I'm, you know, I'm, I got a straitjacket on and I can't get out of it. No, the 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 way that you overcome fear is by being courageous, by operating in what you know to be true, knowing the truth about who you yes. are, you know, and then operating in that in spite of the fear. And I think you find that as you are walking out, as you are being courageous and walking in spite of that fear, the fear then 
has it, it can't it has no place. It goes away because it it, it, it can't no longer hinder you. It's also I, I find um a, a mind thing uh, where fear yes. really grips your mind, where you begin to like yeah. you said earlier, tell yourself <laughs> self stuff. It's that tape that you play over and over in your head about mm-hmm. either tape that you're hearing someone else say because maybe you've had people say things that were not true about you to you and you've yeah. taken it on. Or just things that you that you tell yourself, well, I can't really do that. Well, you know what, who am I? You know, I you know, who am I to really nobody's really gonna, you know, feel me on that, you know. Nobody's gonna I mean, every time I sit down and, and, and I feel like God gives me a story to write, um, you know, I also feel that sense that who's gonna read this? Nobody's gonna read this. They're not gonna like this. This is too much. Yeah. Sometimes I <laughs> as women as women, and there's a great book that I read uh, called Captivating that my uh, the first lady in my church recommended, and it talks about this whole thing of sometimes for us as women, especially strong women, African-American women, we can buy into this notion that we are too much. Not that we're not enough, but you're too much. You're going to be too much. People are not going to get you because you're just over the top. You're just too much. Yeah, you know? you're too and, strong. And it, Yes, and and so that actually creates an atmosphere of fear where you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, where you don't want to, and so you begin to. So you try to minimize yourself. Exactly, exactly, and so I think that all of that, you know, whether you think you're not enough, or whether you think you're too much, whether you are scared of being successful because you, you know, you don't want the accountability and the responsibility that comes with your success. Whatever it is, it is like a straitjacket, and you have to be courageous enough to walk that thing out regardless of, you know, how you – because our feelings are often deceptive. Our feelings say we're, you know, you know, we're one thing when that's not the truth of who we are. And as we as we, as we go through experiences, you can look at – I know myself, if, you, if you're aware, it's, it's important, I think, to be aware when we're, you know, having these experiences in this earth – because you can start to see patterns and you can start to see that a lot of things you were afraid of, if you look back over your childhood and your whole life, as you went through it, you can see that fear was nothing. It was like a mirage. It's not even exactly. real. It's not exactly. even real. And you won't know it's not exactly. real And some, a lot of times until you go through it. Then you're like, this isn't even real. I'm letting nothing right. hold me back. Exactly. Nothing. Uh, 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 can you give our off-the-shelf listeners an overview of the unlikely remnant. I love that title, by sure. the way. Thank you, thank you. Uh, sure. So, the unlikely remnant is the story of four people uh, who find themselves left behind, so to speak. And I use that term very loosely because I'm, I'm a little concerned about the comparison of this book to the Left Behind series. But what I will say is that the God has come and taken his church. Now, many people are familiar with the rapture of the church. So the rapture is gone. And so these four people are left behind. But these are not just, you know, you know, maybe someone who was an atheist or someone who was an unbeliever or whatever. These four people are people who actually believe that that would never happen to them. You know, the, the four characters, Mother Faye, she's a mother of the church, so to speak. She's 60-something. She's been working in church for 40 years. She's, the, you know, the lady in the wow. all white that sits up front, you know. And then you have the uh, conservative, right-wing um, talk show host who, you know, was on the radio, you know, and on the television saying what family values and what faith looks wow. like. Uh, then you have your your tele-evangelist, your pastor of a mega church um, who, you know, was very involved. And then you have this this individual who is a single mom. She's Catholic, um, and she is, a you know, a survivor of domestic violence. And the, these four characters are four characters that in any other circumstance probably would have never come across each other's paths, but they're forced into, um, because of this sort of post-rapture, apocalyptic scenario are forced to be, they're, they're locked inside of a church in North Philly. And they're, wow. They're now, now, how many people are still on the earth? It kind of puts me in mind of that Will Smith show. How many people are still on the earth uh, along with them? Well, there's an indicate. There's a number, there's, you know, billions of people that are still on the earth. Um, it, it's just the, the, those who were believers that are gone. 
And so now they're left behind are those who and so there's this so there's this this conversation, this dialogue that these characters are having about what does it mean to be a believer? Why is it that I went to church for forty years and yet um God didn't quote unquote see fit to take me with him? Or why is it that I've been preaching all this time? And so what you figure out, you know, throughout the story without giving too much away is that um uh, there was a real disconnect between what these characters knew in their heads and what was real in their hearts, you know, oh. and they, it, it sometimes people operate, you know, very religiously, you know, and they operate, you know, they're just doing things. Um, yeah. And, and, and there's nothing internal spiritual that's happening on the inside of them, you know, in wow. their soul, in their heart. So you have a dead soul, but you're able to sing and acquire and do all of that. You can preach, you can do all of that. But if there isn't a heart change, if, if you haven't allowed God into your heart, then, you know, you can literally find yourself in this scenario. And I wanted to make these characters very um, identifiable. Uh, I know these characters, you know, and even wow. as I'm writing, I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait a minute, do I need to, you know, <laughs> do I need to have a conversation with you? Because, you know, they're so, you can get their backstory. And you see where they come from and why they're where, why they end up where they do. Now, can you describe Mother Faye? What what you said she's been forty years working in the church. How what what is she like, and how does she impact or influence the lives of the other people who attended the church in Philadelphia, and of I know without giving the story away, but how does she influence the other three people who were also left behind? Um. So Mother Faye was one of my favorite characters to write um, because we all know a Mother Faye. Um, Mother Faye uh, is, you know, your your, your tongue talking, laying on the hands, you know, grandmama figure. You know, even though she never had any children of her own, um, she's the mother figure of the church. Um, she is the one that, you know, tell the girls to they need to wear a little bit longer skirt. And, you know, she's very consumed by external stuff, you know, um, you know why? Why you got that on? You know you, that's not right. And she, she, she is the mother, the pillar of the church. She is very impactful. However, um, she has the messenger, as they say. You know, she, she has a backstory. She has a life. She has three former husbands. She has, you know, she a lot of. Well, I'm sorry. What did you say? Three, three, three previous husbands. Oh, you know, okay. okay. And so, and so she has some stories. She has some things that were hidden to those that were in her church that um, impacted, and, and really a, a story from her childhood um, that impacted her adulthood, and ultimately she hid from those that really knew her in this later part of her life. Um, as far as the, the individuals that she ends up kind of trapped in this church with, um, I think they all, I don't know if she had any, you know, major influence over them in the sense that they all kind of are wrestling with, you know, what happened with themselves, but then also what do we do now? Okay, so we left, we behind, so now what? And so this whole second part of the book says, you know, and just puts them all together in this church and then, okay, so what do we do now? And so she's not feeling Chad, the the right-wing conservative, you know, because she marked mm-hmm. the king and she, you know, so she, she's not feeling him and she's overfilling the, the, the bishop and she just can't understand how the bishop is still here. And, you know, and she's a mother figure to the, the younger, um, the, the young Catholic woman, um, the Hispanic woman that is in there with them also. So in that sense, they kind of all kind of play off each other. How did, now, did they, they it sounds like uh, when you're describing these characters, these four major characters, I'm guessing they didn't all go to the same church together. Maybe only the mother went to this church and maybe the bishop. How did they, did they all go to the same church? And if not, I know you don't want to get a story away. How did they all get into the church? <laughs> okay, so, no, they did that. But as, as I said, they, they never would have probably crossed each other's paths. Um, the bishop, Bishop Jeremiah, was a pastor of a mega church in the area, um, and so he, you know, he was just, you know, kind of lifted up in the sense on a pedestal. Um, she did, she actually is the sole surviving member of, you know, this church that they're trapped in, you know. So she was actually there at the church when kind of the, the rapture occurred. Uh, and then okay. because of all the chaos and all the 
term, I mean, you have a third of the world's population that just disappears and gone, is gone, you know. So now there's chaos, and they're saying, is it a terrorist, you know, activity? Is, is it something happened? And so the world is in chaos, you know. And so I, without giving too much away, these other three characters um, end up in the vicinity of the church through their own individual circumstances. Okay. Um, and so whether 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 it's a car wreck or something like that, they all end up uh, at, okay. at, at the church. And so then they figure out that there's a lot of um, angry people on the streets, and so they begin to barricade themselves in the church to protect ah. themselves from you know what's going on outside because there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of bomb throwing, and a lot of people are just you know rioting and and angry. Wow. Are there any other minor characters in the Unlikely Remnant who helped to move the story forward? Who helped a reader just keep turning those pages and see what's going to happen next? Well, interestingly enough, the minor characters come in the first part of the book. So what I decided to do is I, I couldn't put these four people together because I knew they're going to be locked in the church together. There won't be any other minor characters except for Jesus. Okay. Um, but I won't. I won't leave. You know. I, 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 so I knew that that was going to be hard for the reader if that's all, it was just these four people in a room, you know, the whole mm-hmm. book. So in the beginning of the book, I give their, each individual tells their story of how they got to the rapture, you know. And so you have, you know, Mother Faith's husbands and her mother. You have the bishop's wife and some of the people at his church. You have, um, you know, the backstory of Chad and his really best friend back in Scriven, Georgia, you know, so there's a lot of minor characters that play a part in them telling their stories. So it's in first person in the first half of the book. The, each character is is saying, look, I don't know what just happened right now because I just knew I was going, but since right. I ain't going, I'm about to tell you what happened to me. And then they tell their stories. And then okay. the, second, the second part of the book is in third person, and um, they all come together. So okay. And actually now, in now, the second part of the book, the church is the narrator. Okay. The is the narrator. What what role does fear play in these four characters' lives? They sound like bold people to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the reason why they kept the wall up to God, you know, internally, was that they were fear. They really were fearful of, you know, it costs you something to love. You know, it really does. I mean, anybody who thinks that if they love their spouse or they love their child or they love their family member, that that love doesn't cost them something, that there's not an investment in that in that person, is, is, is to me, just really mistaken. You know, there is a cost, and I think that because if you've built up hurt and you've been constantly hurt and, and, and you're, you're not willing to invest love even to God, <laughs> you're not really willing to extend yourself, to surrender your life to God or to, you know, you're not really to, willing to trust like that. And so the fear that shows up for each one of these characters are very different, but it, it, the root of it is this fear that if I, you know, I've been hurt, my life has not necessarily gone the way I planned it. And so, you know, if I release and surrender my life, to this God that I can't see, then, you know, then I, there's, that's going to cost me too much. It's going to hurt too much. And so, therefore, I can play the role. I can wear the mask. I can get on TV. I can go to church. I can do everything that people expect of me. But, you know, fear keeps me bound on the inside. And so I think that's how it shows up at the root for all four characters, even though it looks different for each one. Okay. Now, how long did it take you to write The Unlikely Remnant? Hmm. <laughs> um, it took me in total, you know, off and on um, about a year and a half. When I really got started on the book was right before I got pregnant with my daughter. And then, um, you know, I took it was a little bit off and on as I was, you know, when I had her and throughout the pregnancy or whatever. So I would say in total a year and a half to, from start to completion. Okay, and what have readers been telling you? What have you been hearing from readers uh, about the unlikely remnant? Wow, um, I can honestly say that out of all of my books and novels, um, this this is one I didn't even want to write, number one. And so to have readers, you know, come to me and really be blessed by the book, 
Um, whether you are uh, a faith person or not, whether you're not a believer, I think if you're if you're not a believer in the rapture or whatever, I think what you take from this story, um, and what I hope is that it, it's a it's a well, I, I think uh, a, a great story and look into four individuals' lives. But for the most part, those who are believers, I think it's really a check for them. It's a really an opportunity for them to kind of see the other side without it having to be on the other side and to really evaluate where they are in their lives. So a lot of the readers that are reading back, I was like, wow, this book makes you – the biggest phrase that I get is, this makes you think. It's not only a good story, Uh, but it makes you think. You know, it's like, wow, you know, know, what if, what if, what if this? And you're going to place yourself in the places of the characters. And so that that always makes me feel really good. Okay. Now, how do you, Tracy, you've got these four characters, and I like that you kept it – to a small number of characters so you can really develop them and give them depth. How do you develop complicated, multifaceted book characters? Do you do, like, character scratches? Do you have the characters write letters to family or friends? Do you have them journal something you do? How do you how do you get to get really in-depth, create an in-depth character? Um, for me, I always create a character biographical sketch, um, and it's, it's fairly lengthy. I want to know the character inside and out, especially if I'm wow. writing a first-person voice because I'm literally becoming the character in that in that moment that I'm writing. So I do write a, a fairly lengthy. I want to know everything from their favorite color to, you know, their hopes and dreams, their fears. And, and some of this stuff will never appear in the book, but I think understanding the character and their motivations mm-hmm. and, and who they are helps me to create um, realistic, identifiable characters You'll you'll get them because that kind of work has been done on the back end. So that's pretty much what I do. I write a biographical biographical sketch of of each character. Um, like again, what do they look like? How do they? You know, where do they live? Why do they live? You know, all of those kind of things. You know, and, and down to the the finite detail. Um, and then I study that character, and then I begin to write their story. Okay, so you do you do a lot of back work before you start creating that 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 character. And talking about characters, a key character in another book of yours is, in the title of the book for our off the shelf listeners, is "Interruption: The Gospel According to Crystal Justine." She's a writer. I first mm-hmm. want to ask you if you could describe Crystal Justine to our off the shelf listeners, and then I wanted to ask you: Is she based on you? And I, I thought of that when. I, you know, do my research. Saw so she's also a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll answer the second question first. Uh, no, <laughs> she's not based off me. Although I can't say that a part of me is not in all of my characters because you know I I don't think I don't believe that writers can really separate themselves from their characters. Um, you can create a totally character that's totally different from you, but at the same time, there are going to be pieces of you in that. Um, and Crystal Justine is a woman, a young woman who is dealing with the the um, death of her mother, and and being having to live up to who her mother is. And so, as a writer and being successful, uh, so can, can, I, can that, I just interrupt you for a second? Yeah. What does her yes. mother do? What does her mother do? What did her mother? Her do? mother, her mother is in my first book, The Gospel According to Sasha Renee. Sasha Renee was a, um, she owned a salon, and she was very prominent in the community. Okay. Um, but, but but when I say that she's living up to who her mother is, is that Sasha was the type of woman that when you walked in, when she walked into the room, everyone turned. She she, okay. she commanded, she had a presence about it. Not that she had some big title or anything, but she just had a commanding presence. She was beautiful and all of this. And CJ does not see herself in her mother because she her mother died in childbirth. With her, so okay. she never knew her, and so she's in this process of the, the the gospel according to series that I'm writing. I'm actually finishing the trilogy of that now. That series is really looking at three women in one family: a mother, a daughter, and a grandmother, and okay. how we sometimes carry our mother's stuff and our grandmother's stuff, and mm. we don't even realize it. It's a generational story. It's a story of generational blessings and curses, and how you know sometimes. Things happen generation after generation in a family. Who in the world? Every woman, every woman in the family is a certain way, you know. And we can't figure out why. And so mm-hmm. I explore why. And 
CJ is actually the end, even though it's the second book, she's actually the end of the story. So we start with the mother, Sasha Renee. We go to CJ, um, Crystal Justine, in the second book, and she sort of breaks the curses. But then mm-hmm. the third book, the trilogy, the one that I'm working on now, and I'll give you know, readers a sneak peek, is the story of the grandmother. So you get to see where it all began. So, um, and that's what really And so the grandmother grew up, what, in like the 20s? Or the, th- or the 40s? The 50s. Okay. The 60s. So okay. she is um, she is a, a member of the Black Panther Party. So it's really fun to write this um, because it's, it's her, the grandmother is really kind of the source of some of the pain that Sasha and then ultimately CJ, Sasha ah. feels that CJ has to overcome. Sasha never gets a chance to overcome it, but CJ does. She overcomes for all the women in her family. And so it's really wow. a, a serious series of victory, you know, the victory that she gets for her whole family, overcoming fear and rejection and all of those kind of things. So Now, um, she, she – go ahead. No, go ahead. She overcomes, you said, but she has her challenges, and every good story, like almost every life, has its challenges. Does she sure. – when I was researching it, this was my take on Crystal. Does she overperform, you know, trying to please other people – or does she like avoid her dreams in the book? Which you know, um, which would you say was her weakness, and what what motivates her to behave like this? Well, um, I would say that it, in relationships, because these books are really about relationships. I think in relationships, particularly with men, she tries to shy away from who she is. Um, she, she, you know, what we would say, dumbs herself down, and she's not willing to put herself as out there as maybe her mother would have. Um, but why why does of, she dumb herself? Now, see, so many questions are popping into my head, and I apologize for keep interrupting mm-hmm. you. Why does she dumb okay. herself down? Why would she do that? Why would she even think to do that? You know what? I, I have no idea um, except that, you know, I think it's a, a reaction to, feeling the pressure of having this. Her, her mother and her father had a great love, you know, and had a love that um, everybody, all of her aunts, which are really just her mother's friends, talk about, you know, this great passion that Sasha and Langston had. And she doesn't know if she could ever live up to that. But what she tries to do is she's a sabotager. So she tries to sabotage relationships before she could ever see where they can go. And and, and it's uh. interesting because in the story, um, the love that she really desires has been there all along. And I don't I won't give that away, but you know, the has always has always been there right there for her. Um and she also she tends to uh, she had such. She was raised by her father, so she has such a mm. good relationship to her father with her father that I think, to a certain extent, she doesn't feel like any man will ever be able to live up to her father. At the same time, her father couldn't protect her for some from some abuse that she had as a child and as a teenager. And so there's this sense of nobody, man. My my father is such a great man; they can never live up to them. And even in him being such a great man, he couldn't even protect me from being hurt. So, wow. You know, there's this this whole myriad of issues that she's she's going into when she's dealing with relationships, and it and it just takes her really separating herself from it all to really break free and become the terms with it all. So and to be she, free for her whole family. Is she an only child? Yes, she is. Okay, okay. And it sounds like her mother was an only child as well. Yes, she was. Okay, okay. <laughs> what can you tell us about now? So it's she has these uh, issues around men. It, it, are there any other experiences without giving the story away again? But if you just she could share one or two other ones uh, for our off-the-shelf listeners that Crystal has that makes interruption an absolute page turner. Well, I, I definitely think that it's a page turner. I think what I, I did in that book is that I introduced um, what maybe some people would call um, the devil or some some people would call just um, spiritual wickedness, whatever you want to call it. But there mm-hmm. has this there there is this entity that has been um, trying to tear the women in this family apart 
And this 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 entity actually appears in interruption um, as 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 if as something that's chasing like. Um, CJ feels like something is hovering over her that, you know, some people call it a dark cloud, but that there's there's this dark cloud over her that's trying to push her to the edge and push her to um, do things that she ordinarily would not do. Um, so she's constantly running. What, what I actually noticed is after I had written the book and had published it, I noticed that there was this theme that kept coming up in the book as I was reading it back where she was running. She was running away. She kept pushing. And so she literally goes and runs to Brazil in the story. And so that's really exciting wow. for the reader when they go to Brazil and she comes across the very thing, you know, in, in the form of a man, the very thing that has been chasing her. And she finally decides, that it, enough is enough for her mother, for her grandmother, for any for anything that this this entity has been trying to take them out. So I think wow. the readers are, are are constantly turning the page to try to figure out does she ever get away from again? Does she set her family free? Does she get free for Sasha, who never got a chance who died on the on the on the delivery table? Does she get free for her grandmother who passes away during this story? Does she get free from her for even for her father? Who, who never married again after Sasha died on the delivery table, who, you know, was wow. kind of stuck in this place. So, you know, I, I think that that's what really keeps readers driving. They, they, they want to know, just like I wanted to know when I was writing, will she ever get free? Yeah, and it's interesting as a writer, even wanting to know how the story's going to turn out. That's it. Yes. Was it e- isn't that interesting? Was it easier, Tracy, writing a book about a writer who would be Crystal, Justine, Versus writing a book about the mother of a church, especially being that you're a writer. You know what? Was um, it easy? I would say it was definitely not easier. I think I was wow. overly conscious. No, because the thing is, is that I think um, I was overly conscious of the fact that uh, people would automatically associate her character with my, me as a person. Oh, okay. And so it, it, it was. It, I think that maybe even too much. I was so determined to make her so not like me, you know, because I, I knew that as soon as they saw that she was the right, she actually started off as a photographer. Um, I, I had her as a photographer at first, but it just makes so, it just made more sense for her to be a writer. I, I can't even tell you why. It just made sense for her to be a writer, and uh, but it was definitely not easier because I was, uh, again, overly conscious of, you know, making sure that she, her life and, and who she was was very different than my own because I knew people would make that connection. I get that question wow. a lot, you know. Uh, is that based off your life? Yeah, yeah. I could, I could just imagine that was one thing that jumped out at me. And I agree with you that I think that uh, in each of our characters, as an author, a painter, every painting you do, there's just a little bit of the person who created it. There's just some of – I don't think you can separate what's created from what – who created it? I just don't think you can completely do that. Sure. Now, was the Absolutely. was the inner? I want to talk uh, our last twelve minutes about we talked about marketing being like the toughest part of uh, the book process. Yes, you can. It is easier to to write and publish a book today, but then you've got to move those books, whether they're in print or ebook form or a combination or audio, however you're bringing them out. When you first started, Tracy, was the Internet as popular as it is today when you put out your first book? Um, I, when I put out the the first novel, because uh, I had done the poetry collection before that, but the first novel was in 2004. And I would say that the Internet was very much um, a part of my whole marketing plan and very much, you know, as, as popular as it is today. But social media didn't really exist at that time. Ah. And I make, a, I make an, a, a, a distinction because Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, you know, Instagram, all those things came later. And that really changed the game for authors, for readers. And so when I had the stuff, I didn't have the benefit of being able to go and have 5,000 friends or however many friends on Facebook or whatever and to be able to reach them immediately through social media. I didn't really have that. I had to do the book signings and do the book tours and 
Uh, you know, I would send e-blasts out. That was the big thing. You had your e-newsletter, and so I had my e-newsletter. Mm-hmm. I did start a blog in 2005, but I wasn't very active on it, and I didn't really start actively blogging until the last two or three years. So I think that, you know, and, and there wasn't a lot of people out there that was blogging anyway. So the the whole blog atmosphere really, yeah. really became more dynamic in the last um you know, I would say, you know, four years or so. So, no, when I first, my first book, you know, came out, even as a self-published author, uh, there was, you were at the festivals. You were at the Harlem Book Festival. You were at, yep. you know, yep. you, were, you were grinding, whereas social media has allowed you in blogging and all that, allowed you to, it's still in marketing. I mean, there's still a lot of work you, you have to do to be successful even in that, but, and it's kind of changed the dynamics a little bit um, from then to now with this book, with The Unlikely Women. Um, and, and then in, in the traditional publishing, I'm an editor at a Christian publishing house, a traditional publishing house, and I even see for us, you know, having contracts and paying royalties and all those kind of things, you know, even marketing from that standpoint, um, it, it, social media, e-books, all of that has changed for us. So, um, wow. you know, I yeah, I think that, you know, it's definitely very different from when I first started. Now, can you share four to five tips with our listeners who who write themselves, or maybe they're a small business owner, that can help them connect with their audience more deeply? Whether that's um, online think, or offline. I think that, you, you know, you have to have a web presence. You have to have a – I believe you have to have a, a social media presence. Um, whether you're a business owner or not. But I, I don't think that you need to go about that very uh, willy-nilly. Like, oh, I have a Facebook page. Everybody come to me. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to, um, because even now that's become saturated. So now everybody's going on other people's yep, pages, yep. their book and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, people are, are, are kind of um, uh, immune to, you know, that kind of marketing. So now you got to be even more unique. Um, yeah. So I think that... Um, the first step, I, I think the first step for anybody, whether they're starting a business, whether they're, they're you know, writing a book, and, and if you're going to market your work, you need a marketing plan. You need to mm. sit down and you need to plan out um, what months in advance of whatever it is, you're launching your business or releasing your book, months in advance, what you plan to do, who you want to connect with, um, and you need to be implementing that long before the product every hits the shelf. See, it, it really is about relationship building. People want people. It's a good that it's a good thing and a bad thing. But you know, people feel entitled to you if you're doing something like this, and so they want to know about you. So you need to have a web page, and you need to have possibly a blog. You need to have established a presence before you even release your book. Because what it will look like is if you go out and release your book in your business, oh, you just start this Facebook page so you can promote yourself. I don't know you. I don't know anything about your writing. So you may have to release, you know, an excerpt on your web page and tell people to come right. to your web page to, to draw them in and say, oh, that was really good. When's the next piece coming out? Or you, you, you're going to have to do that front-end work. And I think that the challenge that some people who believe that writing is something easy and they can just go out there and do it, the problem with this that they're facing is they're not willing to do the work that it takes. And there is work. You Six months to a year prior to the release of your book, you need to be planning your marketing campaign. So if I, just to get back to your question, because I was all over the place there, you know, you need to have a web presence. You need to have a social media presence. You need to have a marketing plan. And that marketing plan needs to have begun well in advance of the release, which means that you have – you are not just writing a book this month and releasing it next month. I mean that you know that that right. you can you it's possible to do that, but you're going to put yourself at a disadvantage in terms of reaching as many clients. Of, if you're a business owner, it would be clients or customers or as many readers as you possibly can. Um, I, mm-hmm. I know this because I did that. I I tried to put a book out very. Um, quickly with poetry and I thought, oh, I'm gonna to go to Book Expo of America and I'm just going everybody's gonna just love me and um yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> you know so the reality is is that um I, I had to step back, I had to 
to learn from those that have been in the game for a minute. I had to study what they were doing. Now, you're not willing to do that kind of legwork, and you just think, oh, you know, I'm just going to put myself out there, and this is going to be great. You know, as great as it may be, you're not going to be able to reach those that you, that really can help you be greater. And and that's what it's all about. So you definitely have to have a web presence, social media. You have to have a marketing plan. And you have to be purpose-driven. You know, it's not just – it's not a money-making scheme, you know. And I take offense to those who take my art form and turn it into a money-making scheme. You know, and so if you're going to tell stories, tell stories that matter. I'm not saying it has to be a Christian story. It has to be this. I read all kinds of books that are great stories that are not Christian fiction or anything like that that I may write. But it, it, you want to, I want to know that you've invested your heart into it, and it's just not a money thing. Oh, I can get, I can get me a couple of hours. No, you can't. You won't make no nowhere near as much as you can unless you write a good story. So. Okay, okay. (laughs) Lots of of great tips and many that you, if not all, you learn firsthand. As we come down to the last minute, can you tell our off-the-shelf listeners where they can run out and get a copy of The Unlikely Remnant, both online and offline, if it's available both? Sure. Um, They can go into any of their bookstores, Barnes & Noble, and order. They may have to order it for you, but they can go in there. Um, It is available on my website at tracymlewis.com. That's Tracy, Emma's, and Michelle, Lewis.com. That's also my blog, so they can see all kinds of other things that I'm doing. The book trailer is there and everything. Um, they can also go to Amazon, download them to their Kindle. They can download them to their Nook and ebook, all the different platforms that is available. And, of course, they can always um, check out, check me out on Facebook. I also have a separate page for the unlikely remnant readers, those who are reading the book and want to talk to other people about the story. They can uh, check out the Facebook page for the Unlikely Remnant Readers, um, and then I'm on Twitter at, at PM Lewis. Okay, so you're, the website is at T-R-A-C-E-Y-M-L-E-W-I-S.com? That's it. All right, listeners, T-R-A-C-E-Y-M-L-E-W-I-S.com, Tracy M. Lewis.com, and she is the author of six books. Today we talked about uh the Unlikely Remnant, and we talked about the gospel according to Crystal Justine. Just before we go, can you give us the titles of your other four books? Sure. Um, the um, the Integrated Church, the uh, the Integrated Church uh, Marketing Multicultural Ministry. Um, there is the Gospel according to Sasha Renee Interruption, the Gospel according to Crystal Justine, um, and then there are also two poetry collections, No Greater Love. Um, and I, I don't even know if divine nepotism is still available, but divine nepotism also is available. Okay, and then you're working on the the uh, the last in the gospel according to which will be the grandmother's story, which is really the beginning. Uh, you're right. working on that. When when will that one be ready to hit the market? I don't have a date yet, but I'm hoping that um, there will be a release um, in the beginning of the year, the beginning of next year, I should say. Okay, so far off the shelf listeners, you can look for Tracy M. Lewis's new book. And what is that title again, The Gospel According to? It's, it's, it's tentatively titled, In the Beginning, The Gospel According to Vivian Grace. Vivian Grace, you can look for that in 2014. So that will be next year. We want to thank Tracy for being here with us again as Tracy M. Lewis. Her latest book that's out on the shelves right now is The Unlikely Remnant, which we, we had the pleasure of discussing about the four people who get left behind in the rapture and they they meet up at a church in Philadelphia. Uh, 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 so that story, it sounds very, very interesting. What happens? You know, the reaction to not being caught up and then also what happens after you realize you still got to go on and you got left behind. I could just imagine the psychological, emotional impact of that experience alone. So we want to thank Tracy, the author of The Unlikely Remnant, for being here with us. And then uh, her new book, again, look forward to 2014. She's on Facebook. She's on Twitter. Her website, again, is T-R-A-C-E-Y-M-L-E-W-I-S.com, TracyMLewis.com. Please go and support her. And I encourage you to get a copy of my new book, Love Pour Over Me. As I always tell you, you are so incredibly awesome. You are amazing. A lot of times we don't believe that because we we tell ourselves lies or we believe lies about ourselves. But the truth is you're amazing and you are awesome. And as I always tell you, our listeners, please go out and create 
a fabulous day for yourself. I hope a lot of you, I see you down at the Penn Relays next weekend. I'm, I'm, I'm planning on going down there. I used to run track in high school, and I definitely want to get to the Penn Relays. Whatever you do this weekend, make sure you fill your life with love, peace, and joy. Please go tell everybody to tune in to Off the Shelf Saturday mornings, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And as I always say, love you, love you. Bye for now. Tracy, I'll shoot you an email. Great. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.